Thank you for joining us for another podcast from Covenant Community Church. And now, today's message from Senior Pastor John Lofton. Blood clots in the body. Um, I want to talk about a couple of references here. The Bible contains about 290 references to the love of God, about a 290 references. It's about 400 references to the blood, 290 about love. 400 references about the blood, but check this out. There are over 1,300 references about the atonement. 1,300 references. But do we hear a lot of preaching on the atonement or the blood? We hear a lot about God's love, but God's love is not even mentioned as much as God's atonement. So maybe we might need to put some things back in order. Amen? Write this down. The things that we cease to value will eventually lose its value. The reason that we have to go back and talk about the fundamentals of the faith is because they tend to lose value if we don't talk about it. You know, you used to go to church, and man, it was all about the old rugged cross. It was all about the blood of Jesus. Come on, you couldn't, you bet you weren't going to leave church until they talk about the cross, right? Now, today, you can get a motivational message, and you don't hear about the blood of Jesus, the cross, healing. All you hear is a salvation message. Now, granted, God wants to save you, but he wants to save you for a purpose. He's not saving you just so you can have some type of bless me religion. He saves you so he can set you apart for his purpose. Hello, somebody. And so we got to get back to the fundamentals of what the Bible actually teaches so that you can operate in everything that God has for you. Am I in the right church? So, so, man, when I used to, well, well I, I, I had my mama drug me to church because I ain't like church when I was, y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about when y'all were young. You ain't like going to church. Because my mama was, one of them, was in one of those, those Holy Ghost-filled churches. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about Holy Ghost-filled church. I'm talking about the kind of churches where you know these old mothers, they had a relationship with God. Let me tell you something. I knew I was sinning. I was scared to go around these church mothers. Why? Because these old mothers will read your mail. I didn't even want to go around them. They'll just stop you, baby. <laughs> baby, you know, you, you need to stop all that, baby. Y'all know what I'm talking about? They, they, they'll call you. They'll, they'll like, what you, what you talking about? Baby, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, mother, I know, I know what you're talking about, right? They'll just, they'll just read your mail because they spent time on their knees, right? The anointing that these church mothers had did not come easy, and it did not come quick. It happened from years of being on their knee, calluses on their knees, pleading the blood of Jesus over the church and over those who are not saved. Man, I miss the church. The church mothers are dying off, guys. The church mothers are dying off. When I see a senior in the house, I get excited. Why? Because they come in here with a level of character that you don't see much anymore. We need that in the house of the Lord. And listen, we might be a younger generation, but we better start acting right. Just because we are in a, a different time and a different season, the word of God does not change as it relates to holiness. That's what we got to get back to is talking about what is holy and what isn't. What is righteous and what isn't. 
What's light? What's darkness? You know, there is a definitive line between light and darkness. It's only great in the culture. It's not great in the church unless you're part of a great church. You get that later. That's all right. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. I'm going to start reading while you turn there. I'm giving you these scriptures because I want you to know where these scriptures are in your Bible. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. The only truth is the fact that the blood of Jesus has removed us from the curse. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. You cannot be cursed. If you are a Christian, saints of God, you cannot be a Christian and cursed. Otherwise, this scripture is not true. If you have repented of your sins and you are a believer, you have appropriated the blood and the redemption of Jesus Christ, you're operating as a Christian, you can't be cursed because Christ, by his blood, has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Nobody can say that you're cursed because the moment they say you're cursed, God said, how be it, I'll turn the curse into a blessing. You don't have to be afraid of witch doctors. They need to be afraid of you. You're the ones with the light. Turn your light on. Run these witch doctors off. We got to turn the light on. Don't be afraid of people who are not believers. What are we running for? Talk to these people. They need the truth. You might be the only Jesus they get a chance to see. That's why you're called to be a Christian. You're not called to be a Christian just so that you can, you can just rub God on his belly and say, I want good things. It don't work that way. Because when you get saved, bad things might happen. Hello, somebody. See, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Let me tell you how. You ready? Say, Pastor, I want to know how. I'm glad you asked me. Go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Verse 7. I'm going to turn that with you. We're going to read this together in the Bible. I love this. This is almost like Wednesday night, isn't it? I love Wednesday nights. Come on Wednesday nights. We get into the Word just like this on Wednesday nights. Romans chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. Listen, the Bible is saying that, you know what, ain't nobody going to die for, for a good person. Scarcely would somebody die for a good person. Scarcely would somebody die for a good person. So let me ask you something. Are you just going to die just because you feel like a person is good? All right, let me say that one more time. Are you going to die just because you feel that this person is good? Would you die for them? Uh, Y'all ain't answering me. All right, don't be all holy with me now. This, this is not a rhetorical question. It's, it's for real. Let me ask it again. I'm, asking, I'm waiting for an answer. Are you, you just know a person is good. Are you just going to die for them? The Bible says, scarcely will you die for a good man. Jesus died for us, and we weren't good at all. Hello, somebody. So that's what this scripture is saying. It says, scarcely will you just die for a person. Check this out. It keeps on going. It says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, much more than having now been justified by his blood. 
justified by his blood. So his blood brings justification. Let me tell you what justification means by a biblical understanding. The word justification means just as if it did not happen. Boy, that's good news. I don't know if that's good news to you, but that's good news to me because when I repented of my sins, the blood of Jesus was applied to my life, and it was just as if I had never Oh, my, my, my. See, this may not make much sense to people who did a little stuff. But if you did a lot of stuff. Okay. We got real holy people in here today. Praise God. That's good. That's good. Then I need this for me. Hallelujah. Can I give you some more word? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. We're going to learn where all these books are in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 1, turn right. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. And in him we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So we just talked about justification. We're justified by his blood. Now in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that we have redemption by his blood. Go to Colossians. Keep turning right. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. 20. I'm going to read while you turn there. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him were the things on the earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So not only are you justified, not only do you have redemption, now you have reconciliation. This is all by the blood of Jesus Christ. Justification, reconciliation, Redemption. Go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Keep turning right. All right. Y'all like going to the Bible like this? All right. I got to talk fast. So. so let's go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. The Bible says, and according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood and without shedding of blood, there's no remission. That word remission means forgiveness. So you're not only justified, not only do you have redemption, not only do you have reconciliation, but now you have forgiveness. All of that through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the blood is what keeps us alive. If you physically lost all of your blood, you will die. As it is in the natural, so it is spiritually. The blood is what keeps us alive. The blood that's applied to our lives should give us life. We should be excited about what Jesus Christ did over 2,000 years ago because we should have died in our sins. But he proved his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the good news is this. There is no other name given among men by which we can be saved. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the only one who shed his blood on the cross for somebody else. You can't find redemption in Islam. Islam is about shedding blood of the infidel. But you're not going to read where Muhammad died for man. Hello, somebody. Redemption can only be found in Christianity. You can't find redemption in Buddhism. You can't find redemption in, in rationalism. Rationalism means, oh, I'll believe it if I see it. You, you can't find redemption in nihilism. Nihilism believes that, you know what, we create our own meaning and value. Therefore, there is no reason to have a true and living God. 
You can't find redemption in Hinduism, atheism, agnosticism. They don't know what to believe. They just, they just don't know. You can't find it in any other ism. The only place you can find redemption is in the blood of Jesus Christ who shed his blood on the cross over 2,000 years ago. Why? Because Romans, Romans 5 and 8 says he proved his love towards us. Listen, what does that mean? That means he died for us even though he knew we weren't good. He said he proved his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Scarcely will you die for a good man, but Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Hello, somebody. Salvation is found in no other name but in the blood of Jesus. Come on, lift your hands and say the blood of Jesus. See, the blood reaches to the highest mountain and to the lowest valley. Come on, somebody. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Turn left. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off from, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The only reason we get an opportunity to get close to God is because of the blood. That's why the blood is so powerful. And the blood has lost its fervor in the house because we don't, we don't teach enough about it. And a lot of times Christians don't understand, well, we was all this talk about blood. Well, actually, without it, you can't be saved. Without it, you won't have redemption. Without it, you can't be reconciled. Without it, you can't be brought near. I just went, went through all of the scriptures. Hey, hello, somebody. Without it, you can't be protected. Without it, you won't have comfort. Without it, you're going to die in your sins. Without it, God can't come and be a provider for you. Hello, somebody. The blood does all of this for his people. There is so much that the blood appropriates for the Christian, but we may not understand what it is. This is why when Jesus was talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, what did the, what did the people say? Well, Jesus, this is a hard teaching. And the Bible says they follow him no more. These were the same people Jesus just fed their bellies. Now he's trying to inspire their spirits, and they say, oh, no, 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 I, you can feed my belly, but I don't know about you feeling my spirit, Jesus. I don't know about this, a hard teaching. And the Bible said that they follow him no more. What did Jesus do? He turned to the 12 and said, are you going to leave me also? Uh -huh. Because what he has to confer to his house is not for them who draw back. The Bible says, draw nigh unto him, and he will draw nigh unto you. Who needs to do the drawing first? We have to draw nigh to him. And he said, once I see you start to pull yourself towards me, he said, I'll draw nigh unto you. The prodigal son, it wasn't until the son started making steps back home when the daddy looked from afar off and he saw his son coming. And when the son started coming, the father ran to him. So some of these decisions, we're going to have to draw to God. We're going to have to open up our hearts to him in worship and prayer and say, God, I've never prayed this way before, but it's time for me to start praying. God, I don't even know how to pray in the spirit, but it's time to be full of the spirit. Draw nigh unto him 
and he will draw nigh unto you. Is this making sense at all? Praise God. And so I wanted to tell you everything that the blood has for you before I get into the sevenfold sprinkling of the Old Testament priest. So, so prior to that, one other uh, thing I got to share with you is, is in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it says, for the life of the soul is in the flesh. The life of the soul of the flesh is in the blood. There's life in the blood. Somebody say that with me. There's life in the in the blood. Say it with me again. There's life in the blood. The blood that Jesus shed for you, there is life in the blood. Why? Because you were in darkness. I was in darkness. And what happened to us is we repented of our sins and he translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. How? Because his blood gave us new life. His blood is what appropriated things inside of us and things begin to move and churn. And before long, our spirits were dead. And then, bam, we heard the word of God. Something came alive in us. And we said, we can't remain the same. There's something going on inside of me. There's a stirring going on inside of me. And that's why the Apostle Paul told his spiritual son, Timothy, stir up the gift of God that's deep within you. I think for too long we've allowed the gifts to go dormant in the house of God. You know you call to be a prophet. You know you call to be an evangelist. You know you call to preach his word. But yet you want to sit down on the gifts of God. And the Bible said the one who hid his gifts in the earth, the Bible said, depart from me. But if you are faithful over a few things, God says he'll make your ruler over many. Amen. Take what you got and use it. You don't build off don't have. You build off what you got. Amen. And when I don't have this and I don't have that and I don't do this and I don't have. No, no, you don't build off of don't have. You build off of what you got. Amen. And if you take that little bit you got, God can use you in a mighty way. Come on, somebody. Sevenfold sprinkling by the Old Testament priests. The number seven in biblical numerology means spiritual perfection. How many of you already knew that? Another word for it is completion. So the number seven is spiritual perfection and completion. So let's talk about the sevenfold sprinkling. Go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Leviticus. Let's talk about that for a second. How many of you already knew that they sprinkled the blood seven times by show of hands. Praise God. Go to Leviticus chapter 15. Chapter 16, I'm sorry. Chapter 16. Look at verse 15. Leviticus 16, verse 15. It says, Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering. We're talking about the sin offering. He is the high priest. Well, let, me just, uh, can I, let, me, let me just do some teaching here. So, so the Levitical priesthood uh, was, was Aaron and his sons when they came out of Egypt because God set up the Levitical priesthood. Now, the Levitical priesthood were the priests. They took care of the tabernacle. They did everything with the tabernacle. They set up the tabernacle. They put up the linen gate so there was only one door. You can only get into the tabernacle area through one door. You can only come in one way. And the gate or the whole fence around the tabernacle was made of linen. Linen is a type of purity. So there was one door, and that door you have to go through purity. See, Jesus Christ is the door. And so there's only one way in. Come on, somebody. Jesus. 
Jesus said, I am the way. I'm not a way. He said, I am the way. And the only way you can get through him is through purity. So you have to go through one door for purity. And when you came into the outer court, you had the, the altar to the side where they killed all of the lambs. It was a bloody, it was a messy, nasty place because that's where all the lambs were killed. And see, that's where you got to start. You got to start with the blood. Come on, somebody. Because if you don't start with the blood, then you won't have salvation. So you got to start with the blood. And then as you continued on into the outer court, over here to the right was the laver. It was a brazen laver made of brass. And it was made of brass and filled with water. They call it a sea. Because when you look into that water, you can see a reflection of yourself. And so they used this water because after the altar, they went to the brazen laver to wash because you had to be washed by the washing of the word. Come on, somebody. Because if you're not washed, you can't get closer to God. And when you look into the laver, you should see a reflection of yourself. But better yet, the reflection that you need to see is the God that's in you. Come on, somebody. That's what Jesus wants to see. He will use you in a way so that he can see a better reflection of himself. He will make you go through things so that you can repent of some things, so that you can get some things out of your heart, so that you can look just like him. And you might ask the question, well, God, when you, will you get through with me? And Jesus says, I'll be through with you when I look at you and see a reflection of myself. The outer court, it was lit up by natural light. But then there was a curtain and they would slip inside the holy place. But not the most holy place. It was the holy place. This was lit up by the menorah. It was a candle stand over here to the left. The candle stand is a type of the Holy Ghost. Because when you go into the holy place, you got to know the Holy Ghost. You got to be full of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost will light up things that nothing else can light up. The Holy Ghost will show you your life like nothing else can. You might go to a spiritualist and you might want somebody to read your palm, but can't nobody read your life like the Holy Ghost. So you got the Holy Ghost over here, but over there to the left, you got 12 loaves of bread. Hallelujah. The 12 loaves of bread is indicative of the 12 tribes of Israel. Come on, somebody. And the 12 loaves of bread is indicative of the word. So you got the spirit and you got the word. You got to have both. You can't be full of the spirit and don't have any word. You can't be full of the word if you're not full of the spirit. Because if you're full of the word and you don't have any spirit, that leads you into legalism. If you got the spirit and you don't have enough word, that leads you into occultism. And you got to have both. Operating in your life. And then you, you got the incense, the prayer that goes up. Come on, somebody. Because if you're full of the Holy Ghost and if you got the word, you can send the prayers up. Come on, somebody. You got to send the prayers up. You really can't pray effectively unless you know the spirit. Hello, somebody, because the Bible says over there in Romans chapter 8, we don't know what to pray for as we are. But the Holy Ghost knows. Come on, somebody. Am I talking to the right church today? So the priest would be in the holy place, but there was only one person that can go behind the veil into the holy of holies, and that was Aaron. Because Aaron was the high priest. Somebody say high priest. Not everybody could go behind the veil. Aaron, before he slipped behind the veil, he had to have blood. Not only for himself, but he had to have the blood of everybody. Everybody in the nation. And when he went in, he had to change his garments. Good God Almighty. Because, see, before you can go 
into the manifest presence of God, you might have to change your garments. Come on, somebody. So the Bible says he had to take off all of his priestly stuff. Come on. He had to take off his royal robe with the diadems. He had to take off the real pretty hat. Glory to God. That said holiness to the Lord and gold. He had to take all of that off because God is not going to allow anybody to take any of his glory. Come on, somebody. So he had to take all of that off. And he had to put on pure linen before he went behind the veil. And that wasn't it. So he took the blood. He put on the linen. But then they had to tie a rope around his leg. Come on, somebody. Because when you go in there and you play with holy, you might drop down dead. So they had to tie a rope around that brother's legs because if they didn't hear him sprinkling that blood, they knew he didn't go in right when you go in before God you better go in right you can't go in with your crazy self you gotta go before God right and say Lord give me clean hands and a pure heart come on somebody boy you need to start hitting that piano over there clean hands and a pure heart he had a bell and a pomegranate on his, on, his, on, his, on his tassels there. So why? Because you can hear that bell. Every time he sprinkled the blood, you can hear that bell. He had a bell and a pomegranate. He had a bell and a pomegranate. He had a bell and a fruit. The bell represents the gifts of the spirit. The fruit represents the fruit of the spirit. So when he went in, he had the gifts and the fruit operating at the same time. Come on, somebody. So when he went in, he slipped behind the veil, and there was nothing but incense in the air. He was there at the Ark of the Covenant, which is indicative of a manifest presence of God. And a lot of people say uh, Shekinah, but the way you really pronounce it is Shekinah. It was the Shekinah glory of God, which is the manifest presence of God. And he would sprinkle the blood how many times? Seven. So every time, every time he would sprinkle, you would hear the bell. So outside the camp, shut up. Listen, we got to hear the bell. Why? Because they knew that if that brother didn't apply the blood to the mercy seat, they were stuck in their sins. So everybody had to listen to hear that bell seven times. So he sprinkled that blood on the mercy seat because what the nation needed most was mercy. Mercy is not going to activate without blood. Glory to God. So the high priest had to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat seven times. The blood administered by the earthly priest represents Jesus Christ applying his blood to the mercy seat for our sins. He sprinkled the blood, the priest, seven times. On the mercy seat. The sevenfold sprinkling was typical of Christ as our high priest going to the Father to be a sacrifice once for all of our sins. So the high priest had to do that every year. Why? Because the blood of goats couldn't take away sin, it only rolled their sins back for a year. Every year, the high priest had to go in and apply the blood seven times. What was he doing? It was a foreshadow of Jesus Christ being our high priest, going in once and for all to say, Father, 
take my blood and apply my blood to the mercy seat. So now you got to ask yourself, where does the seven come in? So let's talk about that. Are you ready? I'm going to have to go through these quickly. We talked about the sevenfold sprinkling of the Old Testament priests, but let's talk about the sevenfold offering by Jesus Christ. Jesus released his blood in seven different ways. <laughs> go to Luke twenty-two forty-four. Luke twenty-two forty-four. I'm gonna go ahead and, and, and read it while you turn there. It says, "And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground." The first way he offered his blood was through sweat drops. This was an evening of, of the sins of the world being compressed in his body. And the agony caused him to go through hemetahydrosis. I think that's how you pronounce it. Caitlin, you might correct me on that. Where his blood broke through his sweat capillaries because of so much pressure being placed upon his body. To where when he prayed more earnestly, the sweat was a mixture of sweat and blood. That was the first way he offered his blood. Somebody say number one. Number two can be found in Matthew's gospel, chapter 27, verse 30. It says, and they spat on him and they took a reed, which is like a cane, and they struck him on his head. He bled from the beatings on his face when they struck him with a cane. Number two is he bled from his head or from his face. That's the second one. Let me give you number three. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. He bled from having his beard plucked out. Did you know that? Did you know that happened to him? Yeah, that's what they did. They plucked his beard out when he was in the praetorium. You didn't see that part in the Passion of the Christ. See, Jesus suffered for us like no other man has ever suffered. That was number three. Number four, Matthew chapter 27, verse 26. Then he, Pilate, released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged him, he delivered Jesus to be crucified. So let me teach you about scourging. The Roman scourging, we did see on the Passion of the Christ. As a matter of fact, a lot of people couldn't watch it. Um, the movie had to be rated R because of scenes like that. Scourging was done with what the Romans call a cat o nine tails. It was a whip, and on the end of the whip, it was a mixture of steel and bone so that when they struck flesh, it would rip flesh off. Now, you saw the passion. A lot of us did. If you're a small child, I would say wait until they grow up. <laughs> but that's not even everything that he went through. That's just a small portion of what he actually went through. And I'm going to tell you, 
if you can get through that scene without crying, you're not human. I'm telling you right now. Because if you look at that scene, and that was just an actor. And you look at that scene and see the substitution that Jesus Christ did that for John Lofton. Thirty-nine lashes for me. And every time they hit him with a whip, I can hear in my, in my knowing, I'm doing this for you, John. This is the Christ we got to introduce people to. Is the one who was willing to suffer and die for the whole world. This Christ is not about church. This Christ is about understanding who he is so that you can be with him. Hello, somebody. This supersedes your church going. So they scourged him, 39 lashes on his back. So blood poured out of his back. His back was absolutely exposed. And then they put wood on it. That was number four. Number five, Matthew 27, 29. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. The crown of thorns was placed upon his head. Blood was released. Number six can be found in John 19, 17, and 18. And he... Bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha's Hill, where they crucified him and the two others with him, one on either side with Jesus in the middle. When they crucified him, they placed nails in his hands and his feet. So the crucifixion was number six. Number seven can be found in John 19, 34. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. There was a seven-fold blood offering to match the seven-fold sprinkling of the Old Testament priest. Man could only roll sins back. Jesus eradicated it. Jesus had to meet the qualifications of the Old Testament priest. That's why his blood was released in seven different places. Hello, somebody. You tell me the Bible ain't true? <laughs> You better know it is. Man can't write stuff like this. Man can't even predict the weather tomorrow. All right, let me wrap this up. Let me give you two scriptures, and then we're going to pray. We'll talk about how to apply the blood next Sunday. Because you've got to learn the sevenfold application. That's the good stuff. That's your part. The priest did his part. Jesus did his part. Now you're going to have to do your part. So you've got to come back next week to learn that.
Amen? So Romans chapter 3, verse 24 and 25. Let me give this to you because this is going to seal what I just said. It says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as propitiation by his blood. That word propitiation, I learned this last night. It's interesting. I never knew this about that word. I always knew that word was a substitution. You guys see it? Propitiation, a substitute. But you know what that word really means? It's mercy seat. Jesus went to the mercy seat with his blood, just like the priests sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat. Come on, somebody. So Jesus took his blood to the mercy seat and gave his blood as a complete and ultimate pure sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, and this is the last verse. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That scripture right there confirms that Jesus, as a high priest, went in and applied the blood in a sevenfold way to match the sevenfold sprinkling of the Old Testament priest. Jesus now is our high priest. Can you give him a praise for his work? We hope you've been blessed by today's powerful teaching. Thank you for your continued prayers and financial support of this ministry. Visit us in person at 5805 West Highway 74 in Indian Trail, North Carolina. That's near Lowe's Hardware. Or you can find us on the web at www.changeatc3.org. That's change, C-H-A-N-G-E-A-T-C, the number three, dot org. Or call us at 704-821-7368. Covenant Community Church, where the truth is revealed.